0: Hi, Theory. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharunik Bosu. And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Today, I am speaking with Lorraine Fournier about auto-theory. Lorraine, can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners?
1: Sure. Hello. I'm happy to be joining you all here on High Theory. So my name is Lorraine. I am currently a Shirk Postdoctoral Fellow in Visual Studies at the University of Toronto. And there I teach as an adjunct instructor, courses in artists' writing, auto-theory, auto-fiction, and I also have a writing practice and an art practice myself. And
0: you have recently published a very exciting book with MIT Press called Auto Theory as Feminist Practice in Art, Writing, and Criticism. So you are the person who is best suited to answer this question. What the heck is auto theory?
1: Auto theory, most simply, is the bridging of memoir, autobiography, these subjective modes, embodied modes, with theory and philosophy. In the most direct way we see this in books like The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson, where Maggie Nelson is juxtaposing or placing side by side a memoir with references to theorists who are named in the margins of the text. This movement between the auto and the theory, as it were, we get this neologism of auto theory. Folks around the 2010s were saying, okay, this is you know a new genre, it's really exciting. What are the kind of formal possibilities for theorizing from one's life? But in my research, I was interested in looking at the longer history of
0: this term. In your book, you name some important precursors to the sort of auto theoretical moment exemplified by Maggie Nelson's Argonauts. And you talk about both literary precursors and artistic precursors. In 2015,
1: when the Argonauts first came out, where it was sort of like, you know, is this a moment where white feminists are purporting to be doing something brand new that actually has a much longer history? And so thinking about writings by like Gloria Zaldwa, Audre Lorde, Bell Hooks, and her conception of how we even conceive of what feminist theory is, that it has to be grounded in a practice of living. I've always been interested in the intersections between artists and writers, artists who write and writers who make art. (laughs) The interesting kind of cross genres that emerge from those practices. So I'm looking at a literary history, a philosophical history, and also an art history, primarily from the early 20th century onward. But I do have some gestures to the 19th century, 18th century even Michel de Montaigne in 16th century France and the roots of the essay as a fundamentally personal mode.
0: I was wondering if you might share with our listeners some of the artists or other creative workers who you cite in your book, because they're so rich and your book is full of all these amazing color images and descriptions of conceptual art pieces, stuff like that.
1: So essentially, I'm thinking more broadly about Auto-theoretical work, you know, what is this auto-theoretical impulse in culture? So folks not only wrestling with the place of theory in their work, whether it's as an artist, as a graduate student, then also artists who are thinking about the, the politics and aesthetics of study and of theory. So an example would be the Los Angeles-based artist Colleen Smith, who's a black American artist, and she made this piece, Human 3.0 Reading List. The piece begins as a manifesto saying black people are at war without the proper armor and without the proper inoculation and she uses books specifically a lot of critical race theory feminist theory black feminist theory creating this reading list saying you know there's like a politic to study and actually being able to engage with theory outside of the structures of academic institutions can be life affirming and actually imperative for survival of black folks. And then the piece itself, following the manifesto at the end, we have these really beautiful hand-drawn images of all of the covers of the books that she's citing on graph paper. And that was something that struck me during my research is there's this mimetic impulse across the arts, like a lot of artists reproducing books and reproducing specifically theory books in otherwise quite autobiographical work.
0: With that in mind, with that sort of politics of situating theory as part of the goal of auto theory, let me ask you our second question. How do I use auto theory?
1: As far as how you can use it, I think self-reflection alongside citation would maybe be the most simplified version of auto theory as far as practice or use. So doing that work of self looking, self theorizing, self reflective writing. This is where we get into histories of life writing, life thinking, as a term that's recently supplanted life writing, even though I would argue like isn't all writing thinking. (laughs) But there's something with this auto theoretical turn that it's, it's like folks wanting to actually underscore the criticality of their work, wanting to emphasize that there is not only a politics to the personal, but that the personal is philosophical as well. A question that's come up in my life, and when I talk about this book with others, and even in the earliest days of this research, was who has access and the privilege of writing in this mode, but thinking about, you know, we can't actually even take this category of lived experience for granted, who has access to writing from the eye, and who has access to publishing in an auto-oriented way as well you know, the question of privilege and marginalization. There's also the question of the stakes and risks of writing in this mode. And that's a question that's been coming up a lot for me yeah. in Q and A's and stuff. And folks have even been using language like danger and fear and yeah, this idea of danger. I was like, wow, that's intense. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like, I mean, there's a truth to that, you know, like if we're thinking about auto theory as a politicized way of working and as a personal way of working and they're being Personal disclosures. I have a whole chapter on politics of exposure and disclosure in feminist spaces, but yeah, that, that there is a stakes to it too. And so, who is able, on a material level, to take that risk on, you know, economic level, on an institutional level, etc.
0: It seems very much to me that auto theory is about the relationship between the university and the arts or the university and the sort of broader cultural discourse, Mm -hmm. as well as being about these sort of feminist histories that you're drawing out? Yeah, definitely.
1: I'm looking at a range of institutional critique style practices. So in the cover on the books by the artist Sona Safai and it's this theory brandscape that she's created with names of theorists and scholars and artists. Folks she was consistently reading because of course syllabi when she was doing her MFA at an art school in Canada in the late 2000s. And she made this piece. It's kind of like a cheeky critique of the commodification of theory and, and knowledge in the context of the university and who and what continually gets cited who forms cliques or cult followings around them. That's something that Chris Krause parodies too in and, and I Love Dick when she refers to
0: the Bataille boys. It's pulling on the cultural cachet of theory at the same time that it's asking you to think critically about the theory itself and to engage with the radical content of those texts.
1: That's a kind of tension I hold throughout the book. You know, there's theory with a capital T, what Luce Grey would call the master discourse, if we think about this kind of French post-structuralist lineage, or the lineages of theory that come from the big three, like Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud. And then you also think about the plurality of practices that can be understood as Theoretical too, and some really exciting work by, you know, contemporary Indigenous thinkers and writers, for example, who are expanding our conceptions of what constitutes theory and philosophy. And there's great research I cite by the Metis scholar Zoe Todd in my book. She makes the case that ontology itself is like an appropriation of a certain indigenous cosmology. And just starting to think more capaciously and open-endedly about what it means to theorize, you know, who do we cite? Why? How? In the book, I take up this idea that at its worst, theory can become this kind of fetish object wrapped up in cultural capital, you know, the politics of of being educated and, and having this kind of elevated knowledge. At the same time, a lot of these artists are aware of the fundamental project of philosophy, you know, like, how do we live? And how do we live in relation to others? And who are we? And who am I? And how do I situate myself? in the world and in relation to others. And I think that that's what auto theory is actually bringing us back to.
0: Yeah, and I think this is linked to some of the things we were talking about earlier in terms of privilege, who has access to theory, who has access to this position of speaking with theoretical authority from within a university context. But also I get what you're saying about wanting to preserve the power of that thing we call theory, or like wanting to preserve space for asking the difficult philosophical questions. So how will auto theory save the world? I really do believe that there is
1: a power from the perspective of personal agency, but also political transformation and kind of a more social, discursive, philosophical transformation when people take seriously their lives and lived actions and behavior and think about what kinds of knowledges they can engender from their lived experience and just like getting curious about our lives and you know, in a way I feel like it prevents boredom. <laughs> it's like, you know, self-reflective writing and, you know, we're all in this pandemic mode of lockdown, like starting to do some like self-reflection and, you know, what, what concepts can I produce for my life? But also this idea too, that auto theory really is in some ways as, as my friend and collaborator, Alex Brostoff, her and I are, are currently editing a special issue of ASAP journal on auto theory that will be coming out this spring. Cool. But as Alex put it, she was like, yeah, auto theory is a misnomer. It's not really just about the like, yes, that may be the starting point. But really, you see in so many of these texts that it's really about the self in relation to others. And I think that's where that ethics of living comes in as well, that there's intertextuality, yes, intersubjectivity, what I call in the book, like intertextual intimacies, and, and thinking about the ways that our lives are touching up against other people's lives, which raises certain challenges as a writer and artist, you know, where does my life experience that I can write about end and yours begin and all of those kinds of questions that require negotiation and consent in a literary sphere today but yeah how can auto 3 save the world that there is something about considering the knowledge of living and the knowledge of your life as a way of engendering insights for others about what it means to be a human in the world thinking and living and breathing and making art and critiquing.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming and speaking with us on High Theory.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. Really, honestly, I'm really, really honored to be here. And if folks want to reach
0: out to me, I'm always happy to talk. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharanik Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonic Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.